Hi, I'm Steve Leard, and welcome to Cover Meeting, the book cover design podcast where we speak with designers about their work, the industry, and everything else in between. Today we're joined by Jamie Keenan, a book cover designer who has been freelancing since setting up his own studio in 1998. He has since designed covers for Stephen King, Joyce Carol Oates, Philip Pullman, A.M. Holmes, Franz Kafka, Tess Gunsey, and thousands of others. Jamie also co-founded the Academy of British Cover Design Awards along with John Gray. The awards have been running since 2014 and has helped bring our community together to celebrate the fantastic work that's being done by designers here in the UK. I loved this chat with Jamie as he, like so many other cover designers I've met, has a great way of articulating the joy of working with books. Just to note, we had a few tech issues with the audio on this one, but stick with it because it's a great episode with lots of insight into not only his process, but what makes this job so good. Thanks, Jamie, so much for for agreeing to to be part of the podcast. I thought I'd start with um, a recent correspondence I saw you had with uh, Pablo Delkin, the US-based designer. Yeah. Um, He's, he's brilliant. I love his work. He's, 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 he's really great. No, it's amazing. Um, and, and people can, can, can find that the conversation on, it was on LitHub, but I'll, I'll post it in the show notes as well. But it was called um, Two Designers, Two Countries, Two Covers, and How Limitarianism Got Its Look. Um, and for people who don't know, you both designed the cover for the book, um, Pablo in America and yourself in the UK. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because you both arrived like a basic similar concept, but then that got applied in completely different ways. And that, that that's another great thing about what we do in our industry is even though you guys were coming from a similar point, it what the, the final product actually ended up being completely different. Um, I just wonder if you could just chat about um, that kind of experience of chatting to Pablo and, and that process. Well, to begin with, it, it, it's really... It's a, a, a really interesting conversation to, to talk to someone who's done exactly the. They've had exactly the same job to do as you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I knew nothing about who was publishing it in America or who was designing it or anything. And I think, as I said in the conversation, I, I hoped that I just I hoped I you know I thought it, I hoped it'd be a really crappy American cover. <laughs> it made mine look better. And then I heard that Pablo was the designer. I thought, oh God, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> Uh, so it, it, I thought what was really interesting about that conversation is, as you say, that we both kind of followed a, a similar kind of route, really. It, it was, uh, it, it's funny how, you know, despite working for completely different publishers, we, we came up with a, an everyday object that saves money and then kind of bloated it or you know, made it ridiculous and, you know, uh, made it that normal thing to like the nth degree. Uh, and then obviously the conversation went all over the show and started talking about all sorts of things. And then I think me and Pablo forgot eventually that we were supposed to be talking about that particular cover and we were just talking about <laughs> just like having a pen pal or something. Yeah, yeah. And it was really nice because of the time difference. It's like every work, every day I'd get to work in the morning and there'd be like a kind of, you know, another letter from him and I'd write back to him and uh, it was really good. And I, I think as well because it was email rather than kind of talking, 
you had time to kind of think about, you know, you, you, someone had write something and then you'd have a chance to kind of think it over. Or, you had a bit of time yeah. to process it and what you were going to respond with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was really good. It was fascinating as well. And I think that I think there were lots of great moments in the conversation. Um, but one of them was when you were both discussing the, the process of giant design generally and how you how you both come up with lots of um, designs and ideas initially. Um, and I, kind of following on from, from that, I, I wanted to ask, how do you select what you're going to share with, a, with an art director or a publisher when you've kind of, you've created these, the, the, like a bank of, of options because you, you don't want to overshare? Um, how, what, what's going through your mind when you're, when you're deciding what to show? I think that's a really good question because um, I, I once I got a call out of the blue once from this this man who'd been like a kind of he, he'd obviously been like a kind of madman kind of uh, ad man in the seventies or something, and he he was his job was inventing drinks, believe it or not, and he invented Baileys, okay, he invented Aqua Libra and Purdy's and all kinds of stuff, and he came to me he, and he said. Uh, Basically, when he invented Bailey's, it was a whiskey company that wanted to flog more whiskey. I mean, how do you do that? Because presumably everyone who wants to buy whiskey is doing it, and everyone who hates whiskey isn't. So they said to him, we need to find a way to sell more whiskey. So he went into a newsagent, bought a bar of dairy milk, a, a little carton of cream and a bottle of whiskey, and mixed it together. And he went into to the company and, and mixed it together and said, this is what I want to do. And the boss of the company said, this shit will never sell. <laughs> just, I think a few weeks ago it sold its like seven billion, you know, billionth bottle or something. So he, he wrote a book about his, uh, his time, you know, doing this job. And the title was This Shit Will Never Sell. And he, he told me that when he worked, he said, if you ever went in with more than one idea, you were kind of admitting that you weren't sure that you haven't solved it. You know, it's like being given like, it's like doing A-level maths and saying, oh, it could be seven eights or it might be pi or the answer might be a circle with a square stuck on top of it. If, you know, you can't really do that. You've got to say this is the answer. So I, I, I said, okay, I'd love to do the job. And when I met him in a pub, funny enough, uh, I, I took one piece of paper with one answer on it. I said, this is what I want to do. And he, he kind of took it out of the envelope, looked at it for about 10 seconds, put it back in the envelope, gave it back to him and went, done. And I thought, oh, this is, <laughs> this, is how I, this is how I want all jobs to go from now. <laughs> you work like that. And, and the problem is that it's a really good question because when you're working for someone, you don't want it to look like you've only come up with one answer and you don't want to send a PDF that's got one thing in it and say, this is it, correct it. You want to show that you've done lots of different work. So I quite often send five or six different ideas. And even within that, there'll be two versions of, of one idea. And then the third idea, I'll do it in black and red and pink. Uh, so you send in all these different options. And quite often you send in some things and you think, oh, I hope they don't go for number two. I don't really like number two. But five, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with that. And you sort of think, why am I sending things that, that if they're chosen are going to make me unhappy? But at the same time, you want to make it look like you've done a decent job. So it's it's this real such a, kind such of like, a balance, isn't it? No, it is, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you do? How many how many things do you send? Oh, well, it's it's evolved really over the years. I think when I first went freelance, I used to send 
like loads in. And I think that was probably just just me trying to to please because, you know, I'd only started out in freelance, you know, and you just want to show that you're doing a great job and you're open yeah. to everything. And, and yeah. um, but I, th- I think over the years, I've tried to trim that down so I don't send so much. Yeah. And like, like kind of what you were speaking about there, where there's always that option in amongst the PDF where you're like, God, I really don't want them to show that. But you kind of know they probably will pick that one because it's normally the most conservative um, response to the brief. Um, yeah. And it's probably what they're they're expecting to see whereas quite often if you're trying to push the needle a bit you're doing something which they're not expecting but you know i think i've experimented over time sometimes i've just not shown something which i think they're expecting to see in the hope that they they fall in love with one of the options and that's the end of it but yeah i think it's a constant kind of um exploration into what works and what doesn't work there is. I think it probably depends on the art director because there's certain art directors that the one you don't want to go for, the one that you said is most conservative, is in some ways is going to give them less grief work-wise, isn't it? If they can take yes. that in and it's sort of what everyone expects and it's proved and that's great. Because, you know, art directors aren't there to make you look amazing on Instagram by approving on kind of art work. So, again, it's like, you know, do you want them to, to, to stick their neck out and say, I know this is conservative, look, we should approve this. Or do you want them to sort of say, look, it'd be really interesting if we did this thing that's slightly different. So, uh, you know, I think after a while, you kind of figure out who you're working for, don't you? Yeah, you figure out who you're working for. And also the the type of book you're working on as well. There's just, there are some covers where I just think they're just, you know, they're not going to pick something, you know, crazy here. So, you know, you do have to show them options which just tick the box of the of the brief you've been given but then you, there, there are some books where you, you know that there's potential to be to do something really interesting and i think in those moments yeah i i've tried more to to probably be a bit braver and um only show a, a few options where i think oh if they chose one of these i'd be happy regardless of which one um it gets picked and you know that that gives you so much more satisfaction out of the whole um, kind of process as well then so yeah it's just interesting talking to other that's the great thing about doing this podcast is talking to other designers like yourself and just see what other people do as well and, and, and see what works for them um because yeah we're all trying to do the best work we can ultimately it is scary to think that after years and years of doing this job you might be the only person in the world that sends in like more than one rough or that you, you know you don't send your roughs in like by post printed on you know printed out and stuck on card with a kind of frame around it or you know it's uh, you assume that what you're doing is is kind of semi-normal don't you and you, you might be wrong all along you don't that an art director would take you to one side eventually and just say you know you know what you're doing is really strange <laughs> <laughs> I think I've only ever sent in just one idea once and um it didn't work. So oh, right. I've not done it again. So you learned from that. Yeah. <laughs> but um following on from that article as well with you and Pablo, uh the US and the UK is often pitched against each other sometimes when comparing versions of the same color uh, cover. 
Um, do you think we learn anything from from doing that? And is it useful to see how different territories treat the same book? I mean, it's, I think it's different in your and Pablo's case because it was more of a conversation, like you said, it led on to different areas. But yeah. sometimes it's literally just a case of an article with the cover side by side, and it, which one's your favourite? Yeah. And do Do you think that's Do you think that's useful? Do we learn anything from that? I think it's interesting. I, I used to go to New York quite a bit. I used to go to New York twice a year. Uh, and the first thing I did whenever I got there is to go into this huge Barnes and Noble on Union Square, and and because I'd not been for six months, just about every book would be new, so it was amazing. Uh, and I can remember, I've always had this discussion, internal discussion about: do, is book cover design? Does it do anything? Is it necessary? Does it work? Does you know? Do we need it? Uh, and I remember getting in there once and seeing this book; it had an amazing cover, and I picked it up. I read a bit, and I instantly wanted to buy it. I just thought, this sounds great. And then something clicked in my brain, and I thought, I know this book from back in Britain, and it was a book that I wouldn't have touched with a barge pole in Britain because it had a different cover, and it just felt like a different kind of book, and I wouldn't have gone anywhere near it. And suddenly at that moment, I realised that it was all down to the cover, that the cover was like... It was powerful. Yeah, I mean, this is me. This is me after doing that job for like 10 or 15 years or whatever. So and you're, I, you're aware. So, you'd yeah. have thought that I should have known that, but I, you know, I suddenly realised in that moment that the cover, it's the first thing you kind of generally, it's, it's, you know, quite often it's the first thing you know about that book, isn't it? So, yeah, it's the um, first touch point for the consumer, isn't it, really? Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, to begin with, that idea of how things are packaged is really important. Um and I do think it's interesting to see how different sort of countries package different books, not just to UK and America, but UK and Europe or UK and you know, Asia or, or Australia or anywhere. It's, um, it is interesting to see how, how something's packaged, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 I always find it interesting as well when you see when the approaches to the same book have been drastically different. Sometimes yeah. they're similar, but sometimes... Yeah sometimes a publisher in one territory has really gone all out there and then sometimes the the, the opposite territory has gone played it really safe and gone really conservative and yeah. it's interesting how you know similar groups of people in de- different territories have come to completely different conclusions and i yeah. wonder you know i wonder if anyone else that looks back after a time and, and compares you know what approach worked best and, and things like yeah, that yeah yeah I, I remember when i worked in house at random house quite often we'd get in the american version could have been published earlier or something and there was this a, a lot of people have this knee-jerk reaction of anything from america or anything from another publisher is rubbish mm. and we don't want that it's crap you know we, we can do much better and quite often i think this is amazing this is like great <laughs> i mean i love you know I love a lot of American cover design anyway. You know, the good stuff is amazing. Yes. Uh, and I, I sort of thought it was a shame that, you know, they had that kind of like, it's automatically rubbish and we are superior kind of thing. So I don't think it's really helpful. I do think it's, it's really interesting. Quite often online you get these things where they'll compare the two of them and then they ask for people's comments and people will say, this one's terrible, this and it does make me realise how kind of out, out of whack I am with a lot of other people's opinions. It's slightly <laughs> worrying because I do that as a job. And I sort of think, how can you prefer that one to that one? But then that's the great thing about book cover design. There's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong answer, is yeah. there? Yeah. When I first started working in, in publishing, um, I was constantly looking in bookshops and online at you know, what other people were doing. Um, and I was always really drawn to your work, Um 
because in a good way in a good way yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> i should have clarified that um I think it's because um, your covers, I always felt like there was a strong sense of an, of an idea, which, you know, particularly sung, sung to me. Um, why does strong ideas and concepts matter so much to your work and, and cover design more generally? I, when I first started doing book covers, it was right at the start of the whole kind of like Mac thing, believe it or not. So uh, everyone was like, you, you saved work on, on little, tiny little kind of floppy disks. Uh, and everyone, like whenever you met your mates in the pub or something, they'd say, oh, I'll try this, it's got eight fonts on it that a mate of mine has given me. And it was like, there was this whole kind of like culture of uh, swapping fonts and all the fonts were ridiculous. They were all, you know, really totally Neville Brody kind of things. They were all stretched and corrupted and pixelated and all that kind of stuff. And you couldn't wait to use them. But the thing is with book cover design, one of the great things about book cover design, it can take up to about a year from you working on something to it coming out. So the day on the day you did it, it was super trendy. You know, you were one of only, well, probably about three million people, but you felt like you were one of only about three people who had that font. You were really excited. You were going to use it. Even if the title of the book was, you know, Elizabeth the First or something, you'd have this totally <laughs> kind of like robo font with bit sticking out. Really unsuitable. <laughs> just desperate. And by the time it came out, it was like, you know, it's like by the time it came out, you might have been walking around in a kind of pink velvet flared suit with like, you know, a poncho or something because you were so out of date. So I, I think I started to twig that because book covers, it takes so, you've got like this gesta- gestation period of about, you know, a year basically. So you, you, you've got to do something that's going to last longer than just being a you know a trendy colour or a temp trendy typeface. As well as that, it's I am no good. Some people can take two bits of type and a blank piece of paper and rearrange it, and it's beautiful, and that's all you need. You know, I've never been any good at that. So my way of thinking is, that if you've got an idea, you know, I'd have like an idea like I want it to look like a map, or I want it to look like the back of a bus, or I want it to look like a you know, a pizza box or something. Once you have that idea, the idea then takes over and it says, all right, okay, I'm in charge now. You're going to use these two colours because that's what you use on this kind of idea. It's going to be done on a kind of like messed up background. It's going to look cheap. It's going to be like a kind of serif typeface. Do you know what I mean by it? So the, yeah. the idea... No, that's really interesting that, that yeah, it, the, the, the concept takes over then and you, that's it's, it makes the, the decisions for you. Yeah, that's a really nice way of thinking about it. Because I'm pretty useless at just doing something from a stylistic point of view, just making something look nice. I can't really do that. But if I've got an idea, then I know how it's got to look, basically. So it, back, it backs you up. It gives it justifies what you're doing. Yeah, you've always got an idea to fall back on, haven't you? Yeah, and apart from that, I just I love ideas anyway. I, I love things, you know, like I, I think like. A, when you're driving along and you come to a roundabout, a roundabout is an amazing idea. I mean, it's really simple. You don't even think about it. But what an amazing idea that everyone's just got to look to the right. And as long as there's no traffic coming, you can get on there. I just, I, I like kind of ideas anyway, like a post-it note or a paper clip or just something like that. I, something that I solves love. a problem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I've always tried to emulate that way of designing as well. I've always 
kind of having a strong idea or concept behind whatever I'm doing. Why is that? Though? Why is it in your case that you're into ideas? I don't know. I think it's. Um, I think it was the the kind of design I was drawn to when I was first at college and uni. I, mean, I used to love um, design agencies like like the Chase in in Manchester, where they just used to have really beautifully simple, clear communication underpinned by a great idea and it just i don't know that used that just used to sing to me and and i always thought I'd, i i that's the kind of design i'd love to do um and i think just over the years it's almost become my default way of designing to the point where now i actually struggle to design if i'm not kind of if it's not going through the the, the prism of an idea if it's just a ca- if it's just a case of make something look good i i feel lost because all my instincts are like oh well i i only do this because of this but if it yeah it's just kind of the same yeah exactly what you're describing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think a lot of it as well comes from probably being bombarded with advertising which is ideas based like from, you know from being kind of like a baby you're just surrounded by this stuff and i think that ideas element must kind of seep in at some point and become i think i must have seen a lot of advertising as a kid and just thought i I really like that sort of way of thinking and also something that makes people looking at it rather than just looking at it and thinking that's nice that's a nice color having to work something out yeah you're rewarding the the person who's looking at the cover and hopefully they get that smile on the mind in their mind and, and 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 then you've 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 piqued the interest then and then hopefully that's your job done i think so i mean i, I always say it's like as more and more design becomes like interactive print is not interactive at all but you can still hopefully involve like a viewer in some way so they you, you drag them in and you make them part of the job don't you so that yeah. they're already halfway to sort of picking up a book and sort of thinking what is this I've never really worked on on covers for like classic books and, and authors but some of your best work has come in that area be it like Kafka or De Maurier or like Lolita to name a few but what um what goes through your mind when you get a project like that given to you what, what emotions kind of come over you when you're given like the hefty responsibility of doing such thing uh, when you, when there's already an established look for something that's gone before because it for me who's never done that it's quite interesting to see what people like yourself think about when you're when you're when you're presented with it with a brief like that i think that that you know because it is a classic you're using all that so you don't have to if 1984 came out tomorrow by a you know a novelist no one had ever heard of you'd have to try and explain on the cover what it was out about a bit but because everyone knows what it is already you kind of you can bypass that bit and you not only that but you can use it and subvert it in some way so you you can take people's existing ideas of what a classic is and kind of play around with it slightly or, or kind of shock people or confuse people slightly. I think what happened as well is that at one time I was doing an, an awful lot of uh, non-fiction that was very kind of high concept, like ideas based stuff. And I think I then transferred that into fiction in a way so that then my, you know, then my, Fiction stuff, you know, like the stuff you've mentioned about the birds and the litter and metamorphosis and stuff, is very kind of ideas-based. I assumed that that idea stuff could only be used for, like, non-fiction, and then I realised that I could do that in fiction as well. So, if anything, now, 
like uh, at one time I was doing an awful lot of nonfiction, and now it seems like it's gone the other way. Like I'm doing mostly fiction, but in a quite an ideasy kind of way. I always feel that when you read a book, it like every book, it's like its own little world with its own logic. So when you read the book, you come out of it in a very abstract way, sort of feeling that that book is very kind of black and white, or it's very angular, or it's very blurry, or it's quiet, or it's loud. Do you know what I mean by that? It's and and that gives you the kind of tone of the book, doesn't it? And it makes you. It doesn't give you an out and out idea, but it makes you think that for that book, I want to. I want to do something that's quite pastel shady or I want to do something that's very spiky. Uh, and, and I think that, that that's where that kind of comes from, really. I've started to transform that into a kind of abstract idea or some kind of high concept version of what that book's about, if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting um, as well, what you're describing there about the feelings and that you're getting when you're reading the book so you can what tonally you're understanding from the words which you can then start to try and translate visually that's that's really interesting um you don't hear people talk about it quite like in that way normally but i think in our particular job it's 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 a really great way of expressing what we are doing almost like a translator no i've always thought that you are you 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 know it's, it's like imagine if someone sort of said to you i want to listen you to listen to this album and then on the back of that create a perfume you think oh the bloody hell am I going to do that and yet day in day out people are saying I want you to read this and turn it from like something that's based as in words to something that someone can look at and it's you do it without even thinking don't you yeah yeah do you do, you, do you, um I mean I think that's vital with fiction covers but you do you do that as much with non-fiction or I, I guess it depends on the book really and what the book's hoping to achieve um but some books you kind of feel like I don't really have to read this cover to cover, but do you, do you tend to do that with non-fiction books as well? I try and do it with everything fiction-based, yeah, because you never know, out of all those kind of 80,000 words, you never know which three words fit together might be the bit where it suddenly clips in, you suddenly think, oh, I know what I want to do. With non-fiction, quite often it's a subtitle, isn't it? I mean, more and more with non-fiction, you, you get a title that's something like shafted or like, slam or something like that that's just there to grab your attention and then the subtitle is actually does the work yeah yeah and the subtitle is like you know elizabethan poetry and you know whatever or whatever and that that is the thing that you've got to get across isn't it it's like the subtitle is what you've got to portray and the title is the style in which you've got to portray it you know i mean it's it's normally you know with fiction you've got to read eighty thousand words with non-fiction, quite often it's like uh, it's like eight words, isn't it? I do try <laughs> yeah. to read them anyway. I try to just because I think one of the greatest things about this job is that you read an awful lot of books that you wouldn't normally go anywhere near, and quite often you think I wouldn't have read that novel, but it was amazing. So I think generally it's it's a really good idea to just be as interested in as many things as you can be because you never know what that can kind of lead to. I listen to all sorts of daft podcasts yeah me too yeah all sorts of weirdo books and all kinds of stuff and um you know i just think it's it's really good just to keep your brain kind of stretched in that way yeah no I'm, that's it again it's it's something we've got in common that in that way i think if you can just open yourself up to to yeah. lots of different ideas and and concepts which you might not 
naturally be drawn to. I think yeah. that really comes in handy as well when designing because you never know what subjects you're going to kind of find yourself working within. Exactly, yeah. As well, kind of going almost back to what we were talking about with what to show publishers when we're sending in work, kind of the other side of that process is um, reje- rejection of those ideas. And again, one of the great things talking to people on this podcast is understanding how designers deal with um rejection of their ideas uh, do you find it something that you you can easily park and move on to the next job or is or does it kind of stick with you and, and great with you and take you a while to forget it, it really depends it's like sometimes i'm like incredibly like gracious about it I just think, <laughs> you go, you're paying me you're in charge why should I expect you to pay for me to just like do what I want? I'm not an artist. I'm a designer, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I'm like, uh, like some sort of modern day saint or something. <laughs> and other times I'm really kind of like spoiled brat. <laughs> I did a job, uh, uh, it's not come out yet. Uh, I, I never talk about covers until the day they're published, but I did a cover that involved like, uh, nails and, cotton and wool and string and it kind of like took over my life for three or four days you know my kids said afterwards that I went really weird during that <laughs> period and it really got to me uh, and it's just like everything I that could kind of go wrong went wrong and it's like so first I had to design this cover then I had to convert it into dots so that I knew where to hammer the nails in yeah and then I had to find a way of come you know transferring these dots onto a piece of wood and then I had to paint the wood and the dots would disappear and it just went on and on like this. And then I bought the nails and they were lovely little nails, but I realised that they they were roughly the width of my thumb so that as I was holding them, I was hammering my thumb every <laughs> with each one. And also, I, I, for some reason, I thought, this is there was like an illustration and quite a long title, all made out of dots. And I thought that must be about, what, 20, 30 nails? It turned out to be 500 nails, so... Uh, and then as I was hammering one nail in, another would fall out. And then I wrapped wool around it and it looked terrible. So I had to cut it off and it just went on and on and on. Anyway, I became quite obsessive about it. And in the end, I got there and sent it in. I think I sent it in on Tuesday. Um, and, you know, it's like when you send something in, in a perfect world, you want to reply within about, what, eight seconds? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seconds saying, thanks so much for this. You are a genius. <laughs> we're not only going to, as it's so good, it's not, we're not only going to stick it around a book, we're going to transfer it to a, a, an oil painting and it will be in the Museum of Modern Art in New York for eternity or something. And instead, I just didn't get anything. Which you never know. I mean, people work in different ways, don't you? sort of thing, or they're busy, or they just need to think about it. Or yeah, it's so true. It's, Whenever it, I send options, you, if you don't get a reply kind of yeah. reasonably quickly, you just all, all sorts of things go through your mind. Yeah, or <laughs> you start to think it's so good that they just speech or they just think, this, we are so lucky to work with this kind of like, you know, this genius. Anyway, that it turned out to be, that wasn't, that wasn't the reason. So three days later, the editor replied and said, thanks so much for this. I can see you've put a lot of work into this and it looks lovely, but I just don't think it's right for the book. Oh no. And I was about to go away, literally like about 30 seconds, within 30 seconds of walking out the door and going away for the weekend. And I was in such a kind of foul mood. I was 
lit- I literally felt, you know, the phrase gutted, you know, football. Yeah. I literally felt like slightly sick and it yeah. took a day or two to disappear. Yeah. And eventually I emailed back, you know, cause by this stage I've got like flat fingers from hitting them with hammers and I got like, you know, I've been burnt by wool and cotton wrapped around my fingers and stuff. And I said, is there anything we can do to kind of rescue it? Yeah. Uh, and the editor could do, I was working for an editor and she could obviously see that I was like sort of, you know, being a kind of brat about it, <laughs> crying. You know, it really was like a kind of, you know, kid in the supermarket, <laughs> laid down, kind of slapping the floor with their legs and their arms and stuff. And she said, she was amazing because, you know, by right, she should have sort of said to me, look, grow up, you dickhead. You're a designer. You're getting paid to do this. You're not an artist, so do something else and grow up. Uh, and instead she said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll send it to the author. If they like it, you obviously like it, I'll sort of, I'll, you know, I'll keep out of it. And she sent it to the, editor, uh, to the author, and the author said, I love it. Wow. So the, the editor sort of said, well, you know, what do I know? She said, to be honest, it's growing on me a bit. You like it. The author likes it. That's amazing so, that the editor yeah, had that that yeah. um, kind of the open mindness almost just to say, oh, you, you know, you clearly you clearly believe in this cover. Maybe, like, yeah. you know, there's no harm just sharing it to the author and seeing what they think. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I felt incredibly guilty at that point and said to her, oh, I'm really sorry for being like such a kind of brat about this. And thank you so much for being so gracious about it. And, you know, I was incredibly impressed. I thought that was incredibly classy. No, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. But, like, you know, that, that that process of creating some of these covers and it lit- literally pain in, in this instance for you, but we, 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 we pour our... We pour everything into it sometimes, don't we? And 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 especially when you've gone when you've gone the extra mile, because you know you could easily have, I don't know, done a bit of a rough mock up almost to kind of save all that work. Yeah. But whenever, whenever I've done something like that, where you're going a bit 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 left field, it, it's hard to kind of translate something until you actually literally do it. I think it's all quite often. I, I, I... Quite often I wake up in the middle of the night and I've, I've obviously been, you know, dreaming or having a nightmare about a book cover and I've, I've come up with an idea and I think to myself, what an amazing idea. That is so clever. I am a genius. And then the next day when I try it, it's a really terrible idea. <laughs> never work on a book cover in a million years. And, and other times I've had these ideas that feel pretty lame. And then when you try it, you think, oh, actually, that... That works much better, I thought. So I don't think you can really trust book covers in your brain compared to book covers, you know. How would you actually do it? Yeah, you have to have a bash, don't you? Yeah. You do have to have a bash, and then you know yeah. you're you're opening yourself to potential heartbreak. <laughs> you are. I, I think part of the reason I was gutted, I wasn't just like annoyed at it not being approved. I also felt really stupid. I just thought. Why have you pissed around for four days with mail? Why don't you just why don't you just take easy about just search for whatever the book is about on Getty and then choose a nice typeface and put it at the top? Why do you why do you have to do this? Why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking the other day, I think why this job is so great is that it's almost like we're doing if if you're if you're struggling a bit, you can sometimes be offered the chance to do art therapy, can't you? Probably for an hour or two a week. Yeah. We get 40 or 50 hours of it, don't we? Especially if you're like, 
if you get off screen and you know and rip bits of paper and get the glue out and paint and stuff, yeah. it's like you're really into the zone, don't you? you yeah, absolutely. Nothing. So I, I think part of the reason we love this job so much is because we're we, we're getting fifty hours of therapy a week. But then I thought. In normal art therapy, the, per- the therapist takes the work and puts it on a wall and says, oh, this is really lovely. It's a- it looks so nice. See you next week. But with our art, with, you know, the art that we produce, someone gets to see it and says, this is rubbish. Do this again. Or <laughs> I can't read the subtitle. And that makes us sad. So then we need more art therapy. So it's this ongoing kind of eternal loop of like happiness and despair that, you know, I, but I think we need it. I, I, I really do think that if every job was do what you want and we'll approve the first thing you send over, however amazing that sounds, I think we'd soon get bored of it. You need that kind yeah, of Yeah, you need a bit of pushback as well, I think. You you, yeah, yeah, I think. And ultimately, you, you, I, I suppose you need your ideas tested. Um, yeah. And um, if it was just, you know, everything was being sailed through, disapproved without anyone yeah. passing any judgment on it, it's not being tested. You ever have that thing where an editor has sort of said, oh, the author has suggested this, or the author's nephew who's doing GCSE apps is just, and you think, oh, God, this is so below me. Why am I doing this? And you think, <laughs> I'll do it just to show how superior I am. And then you do it. It works really well. It's better than the crap that you did the first time around. And you, I think that's, it's really good to have that experience because it, it does yeah. make you realise that Everyone's, you know, I think graphic sounds like pop music. You don't need to have studied at a no. university of 30 years to understand it. It's like we're almost born understanding it. It's so paper thin. A lot of the tricks we're, we're pulling in to try and entice people in, you know, people are subliminally picking up these, these skills and how to understand it and decode it from such a young yeah. age. So, and like you say, that, that's what gives people, you know, as annoying as it can be sometimes, that authority to push back on what you've done because they're responding to what you've done. So that that is literally what our job is is doing. It is, yeah. I mean, everyone's highly qualified in graphic design. Graphic design depends on everyone understanding the, the kind of language of it, doesn't it? So, yeah, otherwise it doesn't work at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's really comforting to hear like your experiences and describing those emotions because, you know... Well, how do you deal with it? Uh, just probably... I. You know, I've been known to have a few tantrums, uh, courtesy of my, my partner has to w- witness it sometimes. And yeah. I, I think it's it's just a process, isn't it? And you have to go, f- it's like the, you know, the, the the stages of grief almost. You have to go through all those stages until yeah. you can then go back to the drawing board and, and look at it at a fresh perspective and, and kind of let it, like you say, it's, it's therapy, you let it out and then you're ready to, to look again. Um, I do think as well, it partly depends on what's being rejected. I think sometimes you, you must, you know, with conceptual stuff, there are certain ideas that you think, yeah. I'm definitely going to be able to use that within a year or two. Yeah. And there's yeah. Other, other ideas are so specific to that book that you know that that's gone forever kind of stuff. Yeah. That's, they're the killer ones. Aren't yeah, I had, one, I had one last year which initially got approved and then at the last minute it got, it got replaced by one of the other covers uh, options that I'd sent in. Right. But the one that initially got approved, you know, I loved it. And unusually for me, it was by a, like a well-known author. It was for um, a Chomsky book. Um, oh, you know, right, someone yeah. that I'd, you know, read when I was younger. So it was kind of unusual to have all these things align. Not only was it for, a, for an author I liked when I was, when I was, when I was in my youth, 
coupled with the fact that I really liked the response that that I'd come up with, uh, and it was it was one of those ones. Like, yes, you know, this is a perfect example of the kind of work I love doing, and it's going to be the first thing on my portfolio, and you know, the, all those kind of like excited feelings. And the, the last minute, it got it got cut, and. If I, I'd say for about six months, it was still in the back of my mind because it was, it was, it's like almost scoring a like a like a goal in an FA Cup final and then and getting tackled last minute. It, it was, it was, it just it got me there, you know. Yeah, no, I know that feeling. I think it's a good time to talk about ABCD. You and John Gray uh, set up the Academy of British Cover Design Awards. With the um, the full title always still makes me laugh. (laughs) Was that was that something you kind of tried to shoehorn in, or did that happen naturally? Like a lot of things to do with ABCD, it was all done as a bit of a laugh, and then it suddenly everyone well, not everyone. I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I don't do anything kind of seriously. But um, the the first time we, the very first night we did ABCD. We got down, you know, I mean, you know where it is. It's like a kind of sweaty little basement, isn't it? I mean, we got there and we tried to, you know, we, me and John don't know what we're doing. Uh, and especially we didn't the first time we did it. So we tried to rig everything together. And suddenly someone came from the, the, the bar upstairs and they were sort of messing around on the table and rearranging things. And they, they put like a reserved thing on the table and stuff. And we said, what are you doing? And they said, oh, some people have just phoned up uh, from a quite a big publisher uh, and they've said oh is that the venue for the academy of british cover design you know the awards this evening we said yeah yeah that's right so they said oh would we like to reserve a table (laughs) (laughs) i think they expected it be like you know tonight (laughs) or whatever and you know that we think we thought shit people are going to get out of a limo in like you know Sort of dinner suits and, and slightly disappointed when they see the sort of crappy thing that we put together. So we thought we'd just do it once, and if it was a flop, then we just wouldn't do it again. We weren't too sort of worried about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, the ABCD Awards are a, a now annual event that recognises the best in UK book cover design with um, shortlists for a variety of genres drawn up by a, a select panel of designers that changes every year and then voted for on the night uh, by those who by those who attend um what were the factors for you and john behind establishing the, the awards uh, it was all a massive reaction against uh we both judged a certain kind of high profile design thing uh, and i i I did it twice, and the second time, I think I'd done it the second time, and it, it made me really miserable because I was so excited about doing it, and when I got there, the whole thing was a real disappointment. It seemed like the people on the jury were saying things like, oh, this cover's quite nice, but why has the designer put a quote at the top? Why have they put that quote on the cover? I saw the designer sort of thought, oh, what else can I add to this to mess it up? And I just thought, you, you shouldn't be judging this. You don't know what a designer has to you know, to go through and yet you're, you're, yet you're in charge of saying what's good and what's bad. Um, and they were, you know, they had problems with any kind of stock imagery or there were just loads of things that I just felt like I ran outside of there. So a couple of weeks later, I think me and John had, uh, we were giving a talk in London, and, uh, sorry, in Leeds. And on the way back to London, 
uh, on the train, we both had a few drinks and we were both kind of whinging about about this you know, thing. And, and I said to him, I said, in a perfect world, there should be a book cover awards thing. Because I had a lot of gripes with it. It's incredibly expensive to enter. It's expensive to go along to the awards. And it, if, if you do win, you then have to pay two or 300 quid for the award itself. So I said, in a perfect world, you know, in a, talking in a really kind of naive way, in a perfect world, there should be an award ceremony that's free to enter, free to go along to, and even the award is free. And where, where, the, where it's voted for by people who actually do the job, maybe by everyone who sort of takes part. Uh, and I think I expected this to just be like a whinge. And John said, yeah, you're right, let's do it. And obviously, I would never have done this on my own because it wouldn't have got any further than that. But we were both drunk, and John said, let's do it. And I think we, you know, we were both waiting for the other one to sort of go, oh, this, yeah, this is just a joke, isn't it? This is just being silly. We're going to stop here. And we both egged each other on. So we just thought, yeah, okay, let's do it. I mean, to be fair, already at that point, there was the, like, get-togethers that were organised by Henry Stedman and Lizzie Gardner and stuff. So we knew that they... And there were talks at some pride that, you know, Becky Chill got to some amazing stuff there. So we knew that there was this existing kind of, like, it's a horrible word, but it, I can't think of any other word to use, like this community of book cover designs. And they were kind of super sociable, very interested in, you know, a lot of jobs you just want to go and forget about it, but they, you know, they kind of obsessed by it. So we knew that they'd sort of be interested in it and they're very supportive and they're not at all cynical. And we just thought, you know, let's give it a bash. And like, as I said before, we thought if it's a, if, if we do it and three people turn up, we just don't do it again the next year. Um, I also thought it should be incredibly inclusive. So with a lot of design competitions, obviously it's literary fiction or sort of policy, non-fiction design that gets looked at. Everything else just gets overlooked completely. And that's why there are sort of 10 categories. So everything really was a reaction against... What, what it had been up to that point. And it was like, how do you kind of fix that? How do you make it free? How do you... And we've kind of found a way around it. Yeah, like you said, um, you know, important part of ABCD is that it is free to enter and then subsequently free to attend the night. And yeah. that's obviously really important to, to you and John. Uh, that's probably been stressful as well in, in, in its own ways of keeping uh, keeping an award the awards free and, and accessible to everyone. I think it's the most important bit. I think once Monday gets involved, I I wouldn't really want to be involved anymore because I think I think even if you're sponsored by something that's kind of like connected to design, like you know software or a picture library or something, I still don't want anyone to be in a position where they can sort of say, you know, we think the awards are great, but they should take place on the Tuesday morning in this place, and we'd like to say a few things first and that kind of stuff. The whole idea of it is that um, I, I think the best bit of, of ABCD and the only reason it works is a bit like um, a bit like football, really. If you take away the kind of like participation in it, it you know, ABCD, me and John can, could come up with all sorts of ideas and do all sorts of stuff, but if no one's interested, it, 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 it falls flat. It, ABCD works because everyone's really into it. It's not about me and John. It's about, you know, it's about 300 people that come along and like... It, you know, you could talk to anyone at ABCD and you'd have a nice time because they're just, they're all, everyone without fail is like sociable. They're just nice people, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. 
at this at this year's event, an award was given for the cover of the decade to to celebrate, you know, ten years of ABCD, which is fantastic. Um, and and then voted for by the public again. And um, David Pearson's nineteen eighty four cover won, which is you know amazing. Putting that extra award together must have given you and John time to look at back to look back over the, the the past ten years and all that's been achieved and all that's been celebrated. Um, do you have like any reflections looking back over the past decade with with all those things you were talking about and what you what you wanted to do and 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 how ABCD has achieved it and kind of you know really given our corner of publishing something to to kind of get behind and, and sing about. Well, firstly, that that ten year thing. I think the idea behind that was actually Jack Smith, and it was, okay. it was Jack and his brother who put the kind of website together and said, "So you should take a lot of credit for that." Uh, and I, I was really pleased that Davey won as well because I thought that was the kind of standout cover. I thought that, in a lot of ways, that was the perfect cover to kind of win that award. Mm. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I mean, one of the unintended things of ABCD is that uh, obviously every year we have this list of six covers in 10 categories and 12 in non-fiction. So what's that? Uh, 66 covers. So after 10 years, you've got, you know, best part of 700 covers. So without even knowing we're doing it, we're building up this kind of uh, like a snapshot of what's going on in each kind of category, you know, every year. So, you know, that wasn't kind of planned, obviously. The last thing we planned was what's this going to look like in 10 years' time. We were sort of thinking... 10 minutes ahead. So I, I do think you can see kind of movements as well. Like I, I think the type is get a, a lot of the default setting for book cover now is that the type pretty much fills the whole cover, doesn't it? Uh, and there are things like that. I mean, what it, it might be easier almost from someone outside to kind of see it because I, I think maybe I'm too involved. So what, are, what do you see from the, you know, from like being on the outside by looking through those shortlists? What does that mean to make you think? Um, I think, well, it's, it's co- ABCD re- really coincided with my introduction into publishing as well. I think I think the first year that it happened, I think I'd only been at Bloomsbury for about a, a year. I think, right. So it, for me, it's all it's been a like an ever an ever present thing, really. Um, I, I guess um, I think it's really interesting to see certain trends that come in and out. Um, also, what what people re- respond to, and for, uh, for, I, I guess that the, the the time I've had a, a really big insight insight to it was when I was lucky enough to to judge it one year, a couple of years ago. You know, you guys asked me, which was was, was really kind, and seeing all the work which gets submitted, and then having to make a d- decision on it as well. That's a really interesting process, and I think you know, when 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 you when you see the the quality of the work on display. Um, your sport for choice, essentially. I remember particularly with certain categories. I mean, it was particularly strong in the year I judged it in literary fiction and that the work was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I guess you, you, it's, you've got to step back from that sometimes as well and realise the amount of amazing work that's being produced by people just here in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and before ABCD, a lot of that work was going completely unrecognised and yeah you know I remember when I was judging it there was covers which I really wanted to pick but but couldn't pick um and I think that's just that's incredible so I think having having ABCD as 
a, a standard bearer for, for what constitutes fantastic design in, in cover design in the UK. I, I personally hope it's something that 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 remains, you know, forever. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think so. it's, I think it's a great thing, and I think it it it, it gives us something all to pull behind and um, gives us as as cover designers within publishing quite a lot of a lot of weight and um and justifies what we do essentially and and things like that so i i think it's been a, a brilliant achievement uh, well that that's really kind of you see but as i said before i think it's an, an achievement by everyone oh yeah 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 and i think it it's because it is such a nice group of people that it keeps on going you kind of alluded to 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 um like established graphic design awards and 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 you alluded to why you think cover design wasn't being recognised. But um, do you think that the reason why cover design struggles when entering more generic design competitions is just a, a lack of understanding on, in the job itself? And you, you mentioned things about quotes, like why did the designer put a quote? Then obviously, obviously the designer doesn't want the, the bloody quote on there. Um, yeah. Do you think it's just like a lack of a, a lack of kind of knowledge on what the the modern day job is like compared to what it might have been you know decades and decades ago yeah i mean maybe it's not the fault of the awards maybe book could be design is this kind of strange thing that you have to do to fully understand i mean it is quite um it's quite strange in some ways isn't it it's an unusual job it's like it's a weird job in lots of ways like a, a huge proportion of our work is a complete waste of time because someone just says no i don't like it and it, we are, it, you know, publishing is sort of 99% people who are obsessed with words, you know, and we are like this tiny little tropical island in, in the middle of all this sea of people obsessed with words, where this little tropical island, people obsessed with images. Uh, and so I, I think design, the rest of design treats as part of publishing, maybe publishing treats as part of design. So with these kind of like outliers, you don't... This makes us sound incredibly exciting, doesn't it? We, we just don't fit in. No one understands us. Uh, so I think it's just, you know, it's like there aren't many forms of design now where you sort of say, should we put a quote on it saying this is a great thing, you know, signed Kevin Keegan or something. It's just like that's such a kind of outmoded way of advertising, isn't it? Yeah. And yet it... Publishing still Sticking got with it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> doubling yeah. down on it. <laughs> but, it, but it's like a lot. There's an awful. You could write a really long list of things that are the worst thing about publishing that are also the best thing. There's yeah. no money in publishing, and that's terrible. Yeah. But it's also the best thing. It's like you know, imagine your work, which is very sort of high concept and ideas based. If you worked in something where a field where there was money, you know. They wouldn't be saying, oh, that's great, send in the finished files, would they? <laughs> That'd be the starting point. They'd be sort of saying, oh, yeah, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get uh, Charlie to make the model. We're going to get Sarah to do the photography. She's amazing. We've got a stylist who can do that. We've got a brilliant calligrapher who'll do that. And you, you'd be, you know, by the end of it, it wouldn't be your work, would it? But, yeah, on a book cover, I can, like, make something out of cardboard, photograph it, scan it in, then do some typography on it, and then do some... And it's like, yeah, that's great. And it's incredibly amateurish, but it's lovely because I get to sort of do it all and I get to play around and things. And I think 
I think if I transferred to a proper job, I'd really struggle with like handing it over to other people. You've been freelance now for quite a long time. Um, yeah. What, what decades. was decades? What were yeah. your reasons to go the freelance route rather than staying in within a publisher and kind of climbing climbing the ladder up the up the, the greasy pole? Me and John worked at Random House together, uh, and I that was the, you know that I, I I wanted to get in there for quite a while, uh, and I was really lucky I got in there. And then sadly, the person who gave me the job, she. She felt quite pressured by it. Uh, and Random House weren't very nice and kind of eased her out and brought in a new art director. And I think it was just like a new football manager. A lot of football analogies aren't yeah, right. so it works for me. <laughs> I think it's like when a new manager comes in and it's just like, I just want a kind of new team. A fresh team, yeah. 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 Looking back, it was the best thing that ever happened because otherwise I, I, I might still be there. And instead, I'd sort of. I've been really lucky to work for lots of different stuff, and it's you know it's been really interesting. So, and and again, it's like ABC. Do you know the the plan was do it? If after six months I'm starving to death and no one's giving me any work, I always say this when people sort of you know come up to me and sort of say I'm thinking of going freelance. What do you think? And say, well, what is the worst that can happen? Yeah, yeah, it's horribly wrong, and you get another job. Going to get another job. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, it's just a semi silly question. Um, I've always loved your website, um, and I, I don't think it's—I don't think the design of your website has changed since I've ever been visiting your website. Um, but I think I love it because it's—it seems a bit rebellious almost, and and doesn't kind of follow suit with the expected look of a portfolio site in that kind of in that templated way. Um, and for those who haven't seen Jamie's website. Um, you're kind of confronted with a, a selection of, of chocolates. Um, and I, I've always loved that site. And I just wondered, where did that website come from? Uh, I, just... I, I did a cover that it had some chocolates on and I just thought that would be a... I always liked, um, liked that, you know, that thing where you open a box of chocolates and there'd be like that kind of map that would show you that the triangular one is like, you know, to be avoided at all costs, but the round one or the square one are made. I like those. I've always liked those kind of maps and charts and keys and that sort of thing. So it sort of came from that. And I, I just liked. Uh, I'm not actually sure where it came from. I, it's like when people say to me, "Where do you get your ideas from?" I've no idea. <laughs> it just happened. But, but yeah, and I almost don't want to think about it because <laughs> as long as they sort of keep coming, then. Uh, that's all I'm sort of concerned about. So I'm not actually sure. I mean, it, I'm sure there was some kind of thought process, but it's so long ago that. Well, I see other people's websites, and I think that's what I should have a proper. No, website. I love it though because I think the danger with a lot of. I mean, I'm I'm guilty of it more than anyone is. Um, you know, a lot of design websites they just all start looking the same, and you know, my website looks kind of the same as everyone else's, and I I love it when you get these outlier websites which just like oh that's i wasn't expecting to see that um i i wish there was more of that on the internet generally but particularly certainly with um design portfolios because I, I think it all just becomes so expected and, and and dull after a while essentially really well i don't know where it comes from it must be some kind of childhood trauma or something but that's that's kind of me in a nutshell really i like doing things that are just like either make people laugh or confused or piss people off or not, you know, it's just like, I don't, why do I have to be like that? Why can't I just have a nice website? <laughs> but that, that 
kind of way of thinking, that attitude, doesn't that make you the perfect book cover designer? Because it, because it, because it, it's, it's, it, you've, you've got that instinct to, to set yourself apart and set, set the, your work apart. So in a way, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great analogy for what you do, really. I don't, it depends what books you're working on. If you're working on some kind of arg saga, then it's probably not right to, have, you know, some sort of confrontational kind of like, you know, experiment on the cover, is it? So I'm really lucky that I get to channel a bit of that silliness yeah. into, you know, into what I do. Yeah. yeah. I suppose eventually, if you're lucky, you find your where you're supposed to be, don't you? Mm. In book cover terms. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, did, I mean, I, 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 I went to see quite a few student shows this year and they were all super slick. Yeah. Uh, really impressive. And I, I, there wasn't a person there that I, I, I'd be worried about employing. But there's nothing, very little of it made, like, made me think or right. scared me or made me laugh or made me, it wasn't even, even if some of it had been really, really terrible. I think I sort of. I just wanted something like that, really. So I think there is a danger that it, things becoming a bit kind of pleasant, a bit pleasant. I know there are worse things in life than being surrounded by things that are pleasant. God, what a pond! But, but do you think um, maybe um, a, a lot of students and maybe even designers, maybe sometimes we're guilty of it ourselves sometimes as well, it, searching for perfection and and how something looks sometimes detract on what something's communicating and and particularly in you know you're talking about students maybe a lot of the students aren't aren't spending more time on just thinking and you know concepts and ideas and and they're too worried and consumed with oh god how does this look to other people i I think also it's very easy for me when i finish i'm so old that when i finished like when I got my degree, I was 200 quid overdrawn in total. And I'm worried about that. It took me, you know, it took me a while to get rid of it. Now you're coming out of 50 or 60 grand in debt, aren't you? Yeah. So it's very easy for me to sort of say, oh, why are you doing this all this super slick work that's going to get you a job? Yes. You know, why don't you that's do true. some stuff? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good point. Mine or something. Obviously, it's, it's really easy for me to say that, so I don't know what I'm talking about. So that might be why a lot of students are doing they're, like, they're, they're trying to look employable straight away. And yeah, they can just yeah get because they've got, they've got other worries rather than making yeah. me laugh for 30 seconds or something. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a really good point as well. And probably something, yeah, being a yeah. design graduate, even from when I did it, is, is drastically changed in terms of the pressures that is placed on the students kind of financially yeah. and otherwise. Yeah. Um, so along with heading up ABCD... And along, alongside that, you're, you know, you're established as one of the, the highest profile cover designers, not only in the UK, but beyond. I'm so, not, well, they are your words, Steve. I'm putting that on you. I, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. That would truly be amazing. It's not. <laughs> um, with, with so much experience in, like that, in that respect, um, are you optimistic generally about cover design's future and our industry at large? I, I mean, if anyone's going to be kind of like, you know, washed up, grizzled, cynical, you know, like some kind of old detective or something, all that skill's gone out of the game, it's going to be me, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah, I feel the opposite of that. I feel as, as excited about my job now as I have ever done. Honestly, I am obsessed with it. And I am so, like, I, I love that feeling. You know, when you've 
you, you've got a cover and it's driving you mad and you sort of think, I'm really scared about this. And then you get that idea and you think, oh, I know what I want to do. And I love that feeling where you wake up in the morning and you think, what am I doing? Today? Oh, yeah, I'm doing that daft thing, you know. I love that. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I am really excited. I've been incredibly lucky. It's like, I, you know, you, you, can, you can be incredibly kind of gifted or good at your job or hardworking, but you do need some luck along, along the way quite often, don't you? And I've been really lucky in that, you know, I've worked with some really lovely people who give me some great stuff to work on. So I, I, I get to work on some really nice things. I did, book committee, again, it's this weird thing with book committee design, this contradiction thing. It's like if you said to someone, your job is going to involve working on um, an oblong that's portrait, that's roughly the same size, you're going to be doing 100, 200 of those a year. You're going to be doing it, you know, every year. And it's generally, it's always going to have all, well, you know, 99% or if not more, it's going to have an author name, it's going to have a title, might have a subtitle, could have a quote, and it could have some kind of image. You'd sort of think, well, I'm going to do that for three months or so, but after that, God, I'll be bored to death. And yet, within these kind of constraints, within the oblong, the kind of, you know, the limits are like infinite, aren't they? It's, you know, it's a bit like music, isn't it? There are only seven notes, and there's only seven colours. And yet you keep sort of thinking, I've still got loads of things that I've got like this, you know, the a daft list of things that you want to try out. I've always had those. And you're just waiting for the right job, aren't you? And it's like I've still got, I, I love it when you get a job and you think, oh, great, I can do the embroidery or, you know, the potato print or... So that's, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I really like that kind of side of things. And it's like, I thought I'd be so bored of this job by now, but it's, it's like the longer you do it, the more interesting it gets. Yeah, because so, it's constantly reinventing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, do, you, do you ever have days where you just think, oh, I'm bored of this? No. No, no. No? I feel, yeah, just lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because some, th- like, some of the things you describe in there, some of the things that we end up doing and you know the worst that can happen is it doesn't get approved basically yeah. um yeah. but you know you you get to have a go at so many different things and work on so many different types of books you know it's, yeah i just i just feel like um you know i'm just blessed really so i think that's where it comes from it's like if we were packaged packaging kind of like i don't know like sweets or watches or then there's only so many ways you can do that. But with books, it's like each book is a different world, isn't it? Absolutely, so, yeah. And it and it you, uh, and within book of design, you've got typographic design. You've got like a photographic approach, illustration. You can treat it as packaging, or you know you can package an author and it becomes like corporate identity. So every designer's got their own kind of take on what book of design is. Haven't yeah, they? and it's, yeah. I think that's why it can go on forever. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Um I I I've, I've been kind of ending on asking people uh why being a book cover designer is the greatest job in the world but I think a lot of your responses throughout our conversation is is already answered that in a way. Um because I, so. yeah, I think yeah. you know I think one thing you realize quite quickly when talking to people who do what we do is is how much you know we all love it and are invested in it and i think you know, yeah that's a great power in that and i think that you know that, that's shown in the work isn't it ultimately yeah kind of going back again to the randomness of of what we do and 
you know you describing that that cover with the nails and the hammer and yeah. you, you said um your your kids were obviously uh witnessing this and i've got I'm, I'm not sure how old your kids are my my kids are quite quite young uh still but do you think the, um your kids experience of your job it, it must be quite interesting because you because you don't have a, a, a nine to five uh, kind of standard job what do you think that's in kind of impressed on them over the years of you doing all these crazy different things it could be one minute you're hammering with nails and, and a hammer next minute you're doing this next minute you're doing that what, what kind of impression do you think that kind of kind of gives your your, your kids i think it works both ways i mean my when you say your kids are quite young but yeah. do you mean like kind of babies or, no, or uh, my eldest is six and my youngest is three all right well, i've got three daughters who are 16 okay 20 and 22 okay. so yeah so a little bit older which yeah. you know gives you a clue as to how old i am um i, I think it works both ways so i they really like what i do i think and whenever they walk past they always say oh what's the, oh yeah that's good and i kind of use them as a kind of filter as well so if i'm ever scared that you know when you you, you do this thing where you you make like I don't know an elephant out of motorbike parts or something because yeah. it's a book about yeah. someone who I don't know went on a motorbike to look at an elephant. That's quite a good idea. I'm keeping that. That's my own. And you're not sure if it looks more like a donkey you know, or just a motorbike that's fallen to bits or something. I would say, "Come and have a look at this. What's that?" And they would go, oh, uh, "This is oh, it's, yeah, it's an elephant made out of motorbike parts." And it's like, "Yeah, great." And then when I send it in, if anyone comes back and says, oh, I showed it at the meeting, uh, and no one could quite sort of figure out what it was. Was it supposed to be an elephant? I used to like say, look, I've got three kids. And they're all really thick. <laughs> they, they can figure it out. So if they can figure it out, and I've done it, and I'm thick too, then, you know, some kind of head of sales and marketing should be able to see it. <laughs> But I, I, I think they like what I do, but I don't think they take it that seriously. I, they, they're kind of quite happy to walk up to me when I'm working and just say, oh, Dad, could you give me a lift to my friend's house? Or, <laughs> whereas they, they'd never interrupt their mum in that same way because she's got, like, a proper job. So I think they sort of see me as... Um, I, I think that I also... I dress like a tramp. And I can't, uh, just kind of like, you know, I work on a kitchen table or something. So I think that they see this as just like some sort of, someone who just does a nice little it's hobby. It's like a little hobby, yeah. Yeah, so they're far more relaxed about it. And uh, But I mean, it, you know, every so often one of them will be on holiday somewhere and they'll say, oh, look, I just seen one of your covers in this shop in Portugal or something yeah. like that. And I think they, they'd never let on that they were kind of proud of what I did, but... Maybe secretly they are. Yeah. What do your kid? What do younger kids make of it? I think they're in. I think they're. they're if I'm doing something which is away from the computer, I think they they my, more my eldest, I suppose, because he's just a bit more aware. But I think they're intrigued for for sure. But I guess at the moment they're 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 still so young they kind of don't really know any different. I mean, you know, it's it's not a, a regular job, and I, I'm I'm often wondering. Are they getting anything out of by kind of seeing me doing these kind of weird random things? Is that is that make an impression? Because you know, I've I've always valued um, 
kind of creative creativity and I, I'm always kind of wondering kind of almost where it came from because no one in my family my parents weren't in kind of creative jobs and you're always wondering why did I end up going down that route because it was always something that was there and I think that's quite common with a lot of people who are in design in our space so for me it's I'm kind of often trying to witness those early stages if if either of them want to go into into a kind of a creative job am i witnessing kind of these light bulb moments almost am i am, am i informing that i don't know i, I overthink things really generally but, but well where did yours come from then if you obviously your mum and dad weren't kind of like no. you know advertising art or something but did they kind of encourage did they sort of not really no i not no. That i can remember i think I'm, I'm an only child so i think you know, I think I just naturally was um, drawn to drawing. Really, I think I just—if I was bored, I'd draw. And I—I I guess I was upset. Yeah. I, I was quite happy if I had a sheet of paper and a pencil. And even now, I—I sort of think. Well, I do a little bit of teaching, uh, and I can see sort of students who've got like they'll be given a job, and it's like this crits in six weeks or something. And it's like they do nothing, and it's. And I, I sort of think be more like that kind of five-year-old that you give them a crayon and a piece of paper and they just jump straight in. There's no thought like, oh, I don't know what to do or I'm no good at drawing or what, what do you want me to do? And I, I, I try and be more like that kind of five-year-old kid myself. Just do anything and just do see anything. what it looks like. Don't be scared. Yeah. yeah. But I do. I wonder myself where that, where that sort of comes from. Mm. If there was just like one day where. Some, some part of your brain develops because of something you've seen and that sets you off on that course or whether you're born that way. Did or... yours come from like a random place or, or were there like anyone inspiring from an early age kind of? Uh, my mum and dad both had sort of, you know, very sort of normal jobs. jobs. Uh, they, you know, by no means were they kind of like arty farty or anything, but my mum would always like, she'd come home from town and she'd sort of, bring home like some weird sort of pens or paints or you know she'd always sort of encourage me to do stuff like that and there were always loads of like paintings on the walls and things like that so I think just I think that being around of, that kind of yeah that, inf- that yeah. influence can just yeah can spark something yeah. I think it, it's all yeah. it takes isn't it I think that's I think what so. I, that's what I'm trying to kind of I don't want to I don't want to be forcing my kids into any particular direction because you if you're forcing them into one direction that you could be depriving them of something they might naturally be drawn to as well so it's 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 what to do as well you know i I don't want to be too much of a force over them you just want to create an environment i suppose and yeah it's just it's really interesting my three aren't going in that kind of artifacty route at all so i quite like that in a way i think when you have kids there's this expectation that they'll just be a small version of you yes and luckily in my case they're nothing like me so <laughs> that's good in a way that you, you you're like your own person you know rather than just like a version 2.0 or something yeah uh, jamie thanks so much for chatting it's been really interesting i think you you articulate what we do really well and and, and do it in a really kind of thoughtful and enthusiastic way so yeah thank, thanks for joining well, I think I'm incredibly inarticulate. I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been, thanks so much for having me along. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks to Jamie for speaking with me about his work and giving us some great insights into how he thinks as a designer. He really is one of the best in the business. To see Jamie's work, please visit keenandesign.com. You can also follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Keenan. 
Links are also in the show notes. I've also included a link to LitHub and the conversation between Jamie and Pablo Delkin in the show notes too. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow Cover Meeting wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you can take the time, please leave a rating or review as it really helps. Follow Cover Meeting on Twitter, Instagram, and now Threads at Cover Meeting Pod for news about upcoming episodes. Cover Meeting was hosted by Steve Leard and produced by James Ead of beheard.org.uk. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you join again soon for another episode. Thank you.